Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. What can stop this equity rally? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirtnap Newsletter. Hey, Jared. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's Friday before a long holiday weekend, although it's one of those weird ones because July 4th falls on Tuesday. So Monday technically is not a holiday, but well, at like, least no one the, will be working. At least it's not one of those years where July 4th falls on a Wednesday. That's even worse. That just ruins everything. That does. That's even worse. But <laughs> it's going it, to, for all means and purposes, it's a long holiday weekend because there will be like non-existent volume on Monday. And it seems like everybody's going into the weekend feeling pretty upbeat, at least about U.S. equities. We had stocks on track to finish the week with a strong rally right now. Of course, they're still trading because we're doing this midday, sort of mid-session. But um, they're, you know, gains of 1% across the board. Apple and Meta leading the way. Apple hitting a $3 trillion market cap. What do you make of the market action? Uh, you know, <laughs> um, I, you know, I keep looking for signs that we might be near a top. I guess I guess the title of this is what's going to stop the market, and I guess the answer is nothing in the short term. Um, you know, sentiment is still you know it's gotten bullish. I would say it's at least fifty percent bullish now, but um, it's not stretched. You know, Gunlock uh, I want to say about a week ago said in an interview that stocks are in a mania. They're absolutely not in a mania. This is not a mania. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for seven stocks in particular, but we're far from where we were in 2021. So, you know, I think the answer is you just got to play along and this is going to continue for a couple of weeks, a month, maybe two months and we'll see. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting because you you can kind of feel that people hate it because it's been, you know, so many people saying it's too narrow, it's too concentrated, it's too I've noticed the last couple of days, the Russell's been trading up higher too. Um Yeah. I mean, here's here's the thing. You know, the S P five hundred is decreasing in usefulness as an index because it's getting so concentrated. So Apple and Microsoft make up 14.4% of the index. And Apple's about 8% of the index. Apple at a $3 trillion market cap is bigger than five sectors. Apple alone is bigger than five S&P sectors. So the S&P 500 really is just turned into, you know, it's, it's five or seven stocks that make up like 30 or 35% of the market cap. And I think really... You know, it would not surprise me if this continues, if money managers start changing their benchmarks mm. uh, to the equal weight S&P or the Russell 1000 or something like that, to something that's a little bit more broad based. 
That's so interesting. I, I always think we have to remember all of those dynamics. I always, anytime we talk about the benchmarking and managers, I always think of Mike Green because he has so many opinions about passive investing. But um, when you're saying that, it also makes me, it sort of reminds me, and I think you you probably touched on this in one of your uh, newsletters. We're also coming up to the uh, end of the quarter, the end of the half. <laughs> it's not just the end of the week. So there are a lot of people who weren't in some of these tech names who are playing catch up people who hate the rally think there's too much froth around AI but you know you keep you look at some of these names and if you sold out earlier you're you're behind right like how is that whole dynamic play into it yeah i mean i think if you're let's just say a growth manager at xyz mutual fund and you know you you have to own microsoft like if microsoft is 7% of your benchmark like if you own, if it's 5% of your fund, you're behind, right? So it turns into like this reflexive, like self-reinforcing process where people, you know, you get that concentrated performance in the index and people have to chase it higher or else they're just, they're just going to be behind. So. It never ends well though, does it? Cause that's when we start to get into, especially as you, if you get retail sucked into that. And I think they know that, right? I think that's why there's so much skepticism because they're like, hang on, I don't want to be the one buying at the top here. I mean, does it feel, uh, there's two questions. Are we, I was going to ask you for overextended on tech, but that, 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 that's not really, that doesn't make any sense to ask that. What you want to know is if you own it, should you sell it? Like if you have shares in this and do you certainly not buy it here probably, you know? Well, I don't think you should sell it here, but let's think about this for a minute. So the biggest stock in terms of market cap in 1980 was IBM. And as of 1987, IBM was no longer the biggest stock in terms of market cap. So I think I think Apple is kind of in the same place that IBM was in 1980. And if you were to ask me, like, you know, what are going to be the biggest stocks in 2030? I would say probably not Apple, probably not Microsoft. It'll probably be something else. I mean, it will decline in terms of relative performance over time. And the thing with Apple is, you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago. It was about 10 years ago when Apple was a pretty cheap stock. It was trading at like 10 or 12 times. Yes, it was. And a lot of this, you know, increase in market cap has been valuation expansion. So I haven't looked at it in a while. The last time I looked at it, it was trading at like 35 times earnings. But I don't see where the growth is coming from. Like everybody who's going to own an iPhone already owns an iPhone. Um, maybe it's from the headsets. I don't know. But I don't see where the growth comes from. So I don't really want to pay 35 times earnings for a $3 trillion company. Like it just you know, it just kind of doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And we were talking about uh, to Brent Donnelly yesterday, who was bringing up the same point about NVIDIA, which he said he kind of hates, but it's not because of anything the company actually does. It's just that when you look at the math, in order to justify the kind of valuation, it just gets impossible, yeah. at least from his perspective. So it's tricky, but a lot of people felt like that a hundred bucks ago. That's the problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> And and yet here we are. Uh, so it's tough. What um, what about the re kind of reverse is happening with energy? So, you know, this is a conversation that comes up all the time, right? Is tech overextended? Are we too bearish on energy? Because there are two of them are diametrically opposed right now. How are well, you feeling about the energy complex for, from you know, an energy point of view? 
You know, I got, uh, I'm the sentiment guy, and I think we got a big sentiment data point with energy. Uh, Pierre Andurand, who I don't really know, uh, his fund was down 50%. His energy fund was down 50%. Um, so when you start seeing, you know, big names in a space being down 50%, like uh, being long oil, like, you know, we're, we're pretty close to the lows. So one of the things that I've been thinking about recently, you know, we kind of have this quant factor regime where tech rallies every day and energy sells off every day. And that, that outperformance just gets bigger and bigger. What you really need is some kind of exogenous event where you have a piece of data or something happens that catches the quants off sides. And then you have a big reversal. So we have payrolls coming up next Friday. Mm. And the last I looked, expectations were for 200,000 jobs, which is pretty low. But I can tell you that if if we miss expectations for the first time in 15 months, you're going to see a big reversal in these factors. You'll probably see tech down quite a bit, but that's just speculation. So why would that happen though? Why would you have that reaction? Um, it's kind of like the CPI number a couple of months ago where two-year notes rallied like 60 basis points in two days, caught everybody off sides. Like, it's kind of hard to explain why it happens. But, but why energy? Because I'm thinking like if you try to think, and we'll probably get questions about this, if we miss and the economy looks weak, doesn't that back the Fed off? But I don't, I, which I which makes sense for some things, but if you have... A less aggressive Fed, I would think. From a, fun, from a fundamental standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. But what <laughs> it forces people to do is close out their positions and go there. Are we getting questions? Are people like questioning me on this? No, no. I'm I'm just trying to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to just make sense of it myself because this is what. But th- this is what sometimes gets confusing because we try to like rationally think this out, right? So the rational, if I saw that headline, I think, oh, maybe people think the Fed won't have to hike rates or hike them consecutively because Jay Powell's been, you know, flapping around as hawkish as he can this week at that, at that central bank forum saying maybe two consecutive now hikes. We're not done, you know? So if they, if we have a bad payroll number, then maybe people think, well, maybe they don't have to be so hawkish, which I would think would be okay for tech and equities, but I don't know why oil rallies on that. It would be, so it would cause rates to go down significantly so 10-year rates would go down like 20 basis points. The dollar would weaken, which would be bullish for commodities. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Ah, okay. Thank you. That's the bit That's the bit we need. So this yeah. is why currencies matter so much, and we don't always talk about them, because if you're just looking at the interest rate function, that's fine. You can make that make sense because that would be the demand side of commodity, you know, the demand for oil. But oil's already low, already thinks demand stinks. So then you get the currency side, which is new and would move it, which yeah. is, it's always a sort of multi-dimensional puzzle, which is why when we have folks like you on Real Vision, we're diving in two currencies, two commodities and trying to look at this on, on a three-dimensional level. So thank you for that. Um, Jared, that makes a lot of sense. And it's what people don't expect to your point, right? Which is why I know you're paying attention to sentiment. It's a thing that's new that wasn't 
wasn't sort of on the radar or in line with expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think that after 14 beats in payrolls in a row, I think people probably expect another beat in payrolls, you know? So we've had two claims numbers this month that were worse, uh, 260, 270, something like that. And that's why I think the estimates are low. Um, I don't think I don't think payrolls need to miss by a lot. I think even if they come in like 180, 190, it's going to set off the reversal. Yeah, that's interesting. It would also be really out of step with everything else we're hearing about the economy, right? Because we've been hearing that not only are things resilient is the word everyone's using, but a couple of people pointed out this week, it looks like things are reaccelerating in some places, including housing. Yeah. I mean, housing is kind of its own story. Um, basically there's what happened was rates went up and you have a lot of people who have two and a half, three, three and a half percent mortgages and they're like, I can't move because if I were to buy a new house, I would have a six and a half percent mortgage and I wouldn't be able to yeah. afford the payment. So nobody's moving and there's no inventory. I think we have the lowest inventory of houses for sale in a really long time, like 10 or 20 years. So prices keep going up. I mean, it, you know, even in my neighborhood, in like my neighborhood currently, which is probably about two or 300 houses, there's not one house for sale. There's been two transactions in the last couple of months, and they sold in 24 hours. Mm. Well, you do live in a hot area, but I get your point. There's no yeah. there's no movement, which there always is, especially in the states. I think that's a, um, it's not the case everywhere in the world, but certainly in the states, um, people move and pick up for jobs, and there's a lot of there traditionally has been a lot of labor mo mobility and just general mobility. People don't think anything of moving across the country, which is not always the case everywhere. So that would be that a, a weaker or slightly weaker jobs number would kind of be out of step with a lot of other things that we're hearing. When when we're talking about energy, um, does it, so I, I was asking whether tech feels like it's kind of getting toppy or overextended, should people sell? Sort of same question for energy. You mentioned that Pierre Andron's um, fund is down. He's he's somebody who's been on Real Vision. We'll have to, if he'll talk right now. It's hard to talk when there's pain, but maybe we'll try to get him back on. Um, is it time to start nibbling at energy? Are you looking at it? Or do you need to see more confirmation? Do you still see downside? No, I don't. You know, I, I think that now is a good time to be accumulating a position. Um, I think the downside is very limited. You know, for uh, one big reason is because there's always that persistent threat that the government's going to start re-adding to the SPR, mm. which they said is around this level, around $70 in oil. So we seem to have found a floor in the price of oil. Um, so you you really have like a great low risk setup to just, you know, sort of nibble at a position, just accumulate it over time. And uh, yeah, hopefully it works. Um, I mentioned Jay Powell before and the, you know, central bankers, all of the central bankers were on stage this week talking. We've been talking about it all week because there was a lot of headlines that came out from it. Uh, do you, do you sort of buy what Jay Powell's saying that they're going to have to be aggressive? Do you think he's just jawboning and that they're really going to just look at the data that comes in? Does it so worry have, you? How are you thinking about that? I have a lot of thoughts about this. Share them. Share them, Jared. <laughs> so. 
I think that the Fed has lost sight of its inflation mandate. And what I mean by that is, you know, the last CPI reading was four. But if you look at some of the private real-time measures, we're into the twos. So inflation is really into, you know, it's 2.4%. If you look at true inflation, which I trust. And if you think about this, they're threatening to take Fed funds up to 5.75 or 6%. If you have 2% inflation and 6% Fed funds, you have 4% positive real rates which is overly restrictive. It's massively restrictive. 4% positive real rates is nuts. It's just as nuts as the negative real rates that we had throughout the 2010s. When you have interest rates that are out of equilibrium, what happens is it causes misallocations of capital, okay? So in the 2010s, we had a massive misallocation of capital into housing, into tech, into crypto, stuff like that. And now we're having a misallocation of capital into CDs, into money market funds, into T-bills. That's the consequence of this monetary policy. And I think what they've done is they're focusing on the labor market to the exclusion of everything else. They think that they can't stop inflation until the labor market weakens. My guess is you could get inflation down to 2%. And if unemployment is still 3.7, they're still going to be raising rates. I don't even think they care about inflation anymore. I literally just think they're trying to get people to lose jobs. Which would be bizarre since yeah. that's kind of their other <laughs> their other mandate. It's it's is is full employment, price stability and full employment. You know, we know that that there's no an absolute on what that level is. So do you think they're looking at the wrong, they're backward looking with inflation, they're looking at the wrong gauges? Why do they think inflation, because he's been very clear, inflation is still running too hot. It's really not though. That's the thing, it's weird. Like the CPI is lagging, right? And they know this. Like the next reading in CPI is gonna be in the threes. It's gonna be in the mid to low threes. We're getting pretty close to the target. They're making the same error that they did four or five years ago when inflation was below the target, CPI was at 1.7%. And they said, we're going to keep doing quantitative easing until we get it to 2%. They have this obsessive focus on the target, the 2% target. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be close to the target, right? But it, the, for some reason, they're just super focused on it. Yeah. I, I I like the way you talked about the misallocation of capital. And when that happens, there's usually bad consequences from yeah. that. So we saw the, you know, the, what happened when everyone was piling into, you know, casino like activity. Um, and then, and then when that reverses, whether it's meme stocks or, you know, crypto, wherever, wherever you were seeing it, no judgment on those underlying, by the way, we're talk, just talking about the crazy money. Um, what happens when there's a misallocation into money markets? What, 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 what's, what's the negative consequence of that? Well, the, I mean, the consequence is, is that you have 3,000 bank CEOs like every day that are watching their net interest margin on a daily basis. You know what I mean? Like, and it gets worse and worse and worse. So that's, that's really... That hurts the banking system. It's, oh, hurt, it's, 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 it's causing bank. that bank wall yeah. that Bianco and others talk about. And, and I think the last time I was on, I talked about this concept of the pig passing through the Python. You remember that? 
you know, like. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so, but it, your, your like, lovely visual. <laughs> I I would be As we surprised. All maybe eat lunch. <laughs> I would be surprised if they do get Fed funds up two more times. I, I'd be surprised if they get two more rate hikes. But if they do, a hundred percent, you're going to see more bank failures, without a doubt, absolutely without a doubt, no doubt yeah. in my mind. And the Fed and the Fed's taken this stance, like. I'm paraphrasing, like it's not really our problem. It's like bank mismanagement, interest rate mismanagement. It's not really our problem, which I find interesting. But as long as they're not systemic, I guess you'll just see consolidation. Yeah, it's forcing consolidation is what it's doing. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Jared has a skeptical look on his face because it's a, the famous last word of any central banker is that's not for me to worry about before all hell breaks loose. And so uh, on that point, JP Morgan today reversing their bullish call on treasuries. We have had a couple of things happening. We've had everyone pushing out their recession forecast and then people capitulating basically on their bond bull calls, you know, just like or 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 just not sure. There's just now there's uncertainty about what's happening. We had a question. Um, let me see if I can find it. Well, did you say that JP Morgan pivots? Went, JP went, uh, ditched its bullish view on treasuries. They're now unwinding their long position in five-year notes, saying they can no longer justify their long duration view. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Why? I hear that. Oh, I'm bullish on bonds. Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Uh, be, because I think the data, it, I mean, look at the data we had today. I'm going to look over my screen. I'm going to pull it up. So Chicago PMI missed massively again for the second month in a row. Um, but what about people who say that's the good side of the economy? That is that is in recession, but the rest of the economy is not. And we're two thirds services. Yeah, but even the services PMI is coming. I don't remember the last reading, but I think the services PMI is below 50 now. So, um, And the PCE today was out as well. And that was three-tenths down from four-tenths in the previous month. Uh, the yearly change, it's edging down. It's not, yeah. um, you know, it's not falling like a rock, but it is moving in that direction slowly, but... Um, Peter asking any way you would play the inverted curve two year, 10 year. Yeah, there's a bunch of ways to do it. Um, the, the cleanest and simplest way to do it is with eyeball, uh, which I own, uh, I own eyeball. Uh, it's basically a curve steepening ETF. It, uh, Nancy it, Davis yeah, quadratic, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. We've had, um, for those of you who are members, we had Nancy on, which, which was uh, the timing I I'm going to say was more luck because we, admire Nancy's work more luck than anything else, but it literally was right before the bond volatility blow up. Um, but in that, she just lays out her thinking and importantly, how you can use derivatives as a tool to, to, to handle this kind of stuff. Um, so you can go track that down on the website. If for those of you who have not had a chance to look at that, I can't remember. It was a couple of months ago, but if you search up her name on the website, it'll come up as well as our fabulous my Life in Four Trades, which if you haven't watched, you should. Um, Nancy is amazing and she has a great story. Um, anyway, um, so eyeball is one way to play it, Jared. Yeah, and if you if you want to do it with lots and lots of leverage, you can do it in futures. You can do it with two-year-note futures and 10-year-note futures. 
So you're basically buying twos and selling tens and you have to get the ratio right. I don't know the ratio off the top of my head, but you have to duration weight it. So the, so you don't have any net duration on the trade. Um, how else can you do it? There used to, there used to be a couple of Barclays used to have a couple of ETNs for the curve. Uh, but they were 10 year notes and I think they rolled off and I don't think they exist anymore, but really the cleanest way to do it is with eyeball. Yeah. Um, you can go to quadratic and look at that, um, their website as well. Um, to, to, to understand a little bit more on how that works. Uh, and, um, by the way, and if anyone has any, um, daughters or nieces or granddaughters who are thinking about a career in finance, you have to have them listen to that podcast um, because she's a real sort of pioneer. I um, mean, there's some funny stories about her, <laughs> her uh, voyage into the world of derivatives, well, she, <laughs> which she is not- my, She spoke at my conference. Oh, she did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's fantastic, but really accessible too because derivatives can sort of be intimidating for people. And I think Nancy really help, uh, sort of talks about it in a way that you can understand. This is a really interesting question. Mike, I'm not, maybe Jared understands it a little bit more than me. I'm not sure I understand this question, but Mike asking, do, does Jared think Apple might be the new TLT and NVIDIA might be the next Apple? The, uh, do you understand that? Not really. Okay, Mike, give us, he's, you're on the platform. Give us a little bit more, um, give us a little bit more uh, color around what you're getting at there. I'm, I'm guessing it's like a sentiment, like is, is uh, I don't know. Yeah, fill us in. Figure, tell us exactly what you mean by that. Um, so I wanted to ask you about something else. Uh, Christopher's asking, uh, is Jared's new house finished yet? Got to slip that one in there. Not only is it not finished, we they pushed back the estimate for completion today. So it was supposed to be done in December and they pushed it back to February. So it actually got pushed back today. So That's a gut punch. Yeah. Uh, maybe kind of a sign of labor shortage. We, we talk about, for those of you who are not on the platform um, and are newer to the show, we talk about Jared's house because in many ways it's an economic indicator <laughs> that we track for the, yeah. <laughs> the mid-Atlantic region, <laughs> whether it's lumber costs or labor shortages, which is what I'm going to blame on uh, on this on this next delay because we can't, we can't really blame supply that much anymore. So I'm going with labor, um, Jared. I uh, wanted to ask you about this headline that came over um, on the Supreme Court ruling on student loans. So the Supreme Court um, in the U.S. here, for anyone who's global, struck down student loan forgiveness the Biden administration had passed as part of COVID. Um, so anyone who did not have to pay back their student loans uh, or, or there was a moratorium on it while this made its way through the courts is going to have to start payments again in the fall. Did, does that sound like it's going to be a drag on the economy or kind of hard to determine what that looks like, Jared? Uh I think you have to distinguish between something being a drag or not being a stimulus. I think, mm. I, I, I think if, if it, if it did pass and you did, I mean, the, the forgiveness was about 400 billion. I mean, that would be like 400 billion being pumped right into the economy. And I don't think anybody was operating under that assumption. So I like, I'm going to say it's not a drag. It's definitely not a drag, but what's happening is that, I don't know the exact date, but people are, these payments are going to start up again on student loans after being halted for three years. And that is going to be a drag on the economy for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so 
maybe on on some sectors more than others. I like the way you're looking at at it though, like less stimulative. Um, and so if it's not an overall hit, maybe it's going to be more concentrated where that that if we want to call it disposable income or that extra income for young workers would have been spent. So maybe it would be worth us investigating it from a, from a more sector perspective as we watch that happen. Yeah. Um, Jared, commercial real estate. So uh, Christopher noting, if more banks fail, then the Fed has permission to reinflate without being criticized more cowbell. Um, that that may be true, Christopher. Um, but uh, it would all they'd also roll the tape on Jerome Powell saying a million times that the banks are fine. So that that I'm not sure they win that PR fight. But um, commercial real estate. So we talked about regional banks. If they continue to hike, we will see more bank failures, um, maybe more consolidation. Not clear whether it is systemic or not. Commercial real estate. Um, this is, gosh, a source of worry. And a lot of people still feel like it's this kind of like slow rolling car, car crash that we haven't even seen the worst of it yet. Is that an area that concerns you? Or are you looking at it from a sentiment point of view and saying too many people are talking about that? No, too many people are talking about it. Like if you look at the cover of <clears throat> um, Bloomberg Business Week this week, it's it's that scene from The Shining with like the two little girls at the end of the hall. And the, the, the title is commercial real estate is getting scary. Mm. And I'm like, okay, they just put in the bottom. And this <laughs> week you also had SL Green, which is one of the holdings of my portfolio. Um, they sold 245 Park. They sold basically half of it at, and it was appraised at 2 billion, which shows that the real estate market for offices is liquid. There are buyers. Um, and like this whole narrative about how nobody's ever coming back to work, this work from home is going to, is going to continue. And it's, it's nonsense. Like we're all going to be back to work five days a week within the next couple of years. Like this. Office- we got to get you and Jim Bianco talking. Cause Jim Bianco is definitely, definitely on the other side of that. Well, he was also on the other side of my bullish call when the S&P was at 3,500. <laughs> Which is why we appreciate a diversity of opinion and why you're all <laughs> friends. <laughs> um, but it is, but this is a really, okay, so that that's super interesting you think that. And this is a really important unknown, right? It's just an unknown. We don't know on the other side. We're just, we're, you're guessing and he's guessing that we're all going to be back. Why do you feel that way? Um, You know, there's, points in time when employees have leverage and there's points in time when employers have leverage, right? So now, like at this particular moment in time, the economy is strong, unemployment is low. If an employer says to its workforce, you have to come back five days a week, then 20% of them are going to quit and they're just going to do whatever and just, you know, they're going to do something else. But if we have a recession and unemployment is five or 6%, if employers say to their workforce, you have to come back five days a week, they don't have any choice because they're going to get fired if they don't. So it, it it all depends on the state of the economy mm. and where unemployment is and who has leverage in the relationship. That's a super interesting way to look at it. I guess the other thing we have to factor in is um, everybody, companies want their employees back in now because they're sitting on empty real estate. But if they get out of those leases, do they care if as many people are working in the office? Maybe the answer is yes for other reasons. I think, I think they care anyway, just because, it, you know, it's just kind of an open secret that when people work from home, I mean, it, maybe you or me are the, you and me are the exceptions, but 
Thank you people, for saying that, Jared. While my boss is maybe listening to this, can't <laughs> you? A I people, actually happen to be, I happen to be not only more productive, but work more because if you live in the New York area, your commuting time is just wasted dead time. Yeah. Um, and I just think you end up working during that time. Um, you can work mobily, but it means it's a big pain in the neck. So I would argue in certain areas that I don't buy the productivity thing, but I know what you're saying in other places also depends on your age, right? And your like role and all of that kind of stuff. But you think they're, they think maybe the people are less productive. Yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. yeah. I had to save myself there, Jared. Interrupt you. <laughs> myself. <laughs> but um, yeah, and also young people training. That's another like, and, and sort of cultural organization. Um, I think that's something that companies are struggling with. They don't know the answer, but they're, but that they feel that that's a pain point um, in the work from home. So you're, so, to, so to sort of wrap it, you're, you're, are you bullish on commercial real estate or you just don't yeah, believe bullish. doomsayers? sayers? You're bullish. Bullish, like putting money to work or bullish waiting, waiting for the moment? So, so let me, so you know that while the house is being built, I'm not really yes, trading. your paper, so right. SO, SO Green, I put in the paper portfolio and I'm sorry that I did because it's up about 30% since I put it mm. in the paper portfolio, not including dividends and the dividends are 16% a year. So, but if you think about, like, if you think about what, like how sentiment was on that stock, this is this is a stock that pays a 16% dividend that had a 20% short interest. And 20% short interest with a 16% dividend. What are people thinking? You know, so. You got to get that house done so you can get it off the paper back in the, <laughs> yeah. and back in the, in the actual portfolio. Jared, always so fun to spend the daily briefing with you, but especially on a summer Friday. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to all of you as well. Have a fantastic holiday weekend. Just a programming note. We are live back for regular business on Wednesday, the 5th, but we have a really special program for you. We're unlocking stuff um, for you to look at a couple of different things. And I believe the chats will be open. So I hope you'll view it. If not live, you can certainly view it at your leisure. Crypto Daily Briefing will be live. I'm actually doing that. Um, but the daily briefing is going to be some really, really great premium content so that you can all get a sense of the amazing conversations we have on the platform. So enjoy your long holiday weekend. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 